Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Future of XYZ. Today, we are going to be speaking about a very big and very important topic, the future of finance. And with us is our guest, Valerie Redhorse Mole. She goes by Val. She is an incredibly impressive woman with a 25-year history in financial services, asset management, investment banking, and beyond. Uh, Val, it is a pleasure to have you on Future of XYZ. Thanks for being here. Oh, Lisa, thank you for having me. I love the topic and I'm very appreciative and happy to be here today. Well, I want to um, dive in as we always do on Future of XYZ to kind of ground listeners and viewers in the topic at hand. Um, given your extensive experience in the field of finance, I'd love you to just you know define academically, first and foremost, what is finance for people to kind of ground down and where we're going after? Well, that's a big question. Um, I'm not sure I have the definitive answer, but I can tell you that I have worked very much in investment banking, which is all about access to capital and growth capital and being able to scale businesses. Um, and I've also worked a lot in asset management, which is about the um, management of wealth and then how that wealth is distributed. And so I think finance to me is is all of that in terms of how we handle our assets, where those assets end up being distributed. And for me, it's really looking at what is where, where are the gaps? And so I'm very focused on finance uh, and where the lack of access is, uh, the racial, gender, social, economic gaps, and then how we can really achieve um, equitable distribution of our assets through finance. It, I, we have so much to dive into there. I think one thing I just want to clarify, is finance the same thing as money? Or, or if they're different, how are they different? I think they're related. I'm not sure the, they're the exact same thing. So I think money refers to wealth. Um, it's it's a, it's a thing, right? Money. Finance is an action almost in terms of how you're bringing that access into play and what you're doing it with the money and how you're structuring it in a way that might uh, achieve positive results. And I will say one of the things I've seen is many founders do not access proper finance, the proper structuring of finance. There's often extractive terms. And that's one thing we are focused on is, is really trying to change that access to capital and the structuring of finance, which then hopefully leads to the generation of wealth and money. You, I mean, you, besides your extensive experience, I mean, I didn't even introduce, you know, the fact that you graduated from UCLA, um, that you've been doing this for 25 plus years, that you are a lecturer at Stanford, as well as the advisory board chair of their Center for Comparative Studies in Race and Ethnicity. You're the board chair on a whole bunch of different things in the Silicon Valley and, and across California and the country. You've worked extensively in Native American rights as well as finance rights. Um, and I, we'll talk about that. But you're mostly the co-founder of Known, which is a finance and asset management firm. Um, given all of these different perspectives, um, you're also a filmmaker, but that's a, a separate topic. Um, given all these different perspectives, you know, what do you currently see broadly as the state of finance today? That's a great question. And I would say 
for many decades, you know, I worked with tribal communities and then spent some time in the nonprofit space working with many different types of communities. Um, and what I have come to realize is the state of finance, the current way that I would say Wall Street, and I use Wall Street broadly to talk about how our money is uh, managed and distributed, um, is is broken. It's a broken system. And in many cases, I find it to be a little bit of a plug and play system and also a very um, opaque system. It's not there's not access for many people. And I really hope to change that in the work that we're doing. And I'm so delighted and honored that at Known, uh, I'm not out there in a silo like I felt for many years. I was doing a lot of work with a small staff and, you know, focused on a very kind of tight knit community. But now I have partners from various communities and we're all focused on the same thing. And so I'm super excited to be doing something that I think can actually shift capital and make a difference to that current state of our finance that needs to be changed and shifted. Do you, um, those, the, the, the fact that it's kind of broken, if we will, at this particular moment, there are so many factors. I mean, levers, influences, whatever we want to call them, you know, the inputs, the outputs, the different currencies, the different governing bodies, the institutions, the platforms. I mean, it kind of goes on and on the digitalization of, of, of finance. It, it is, do you feel like there's an acceleration in this change? Is that what's gotten us to this broken place where like governance necessarily hasn't caught up or ca- like kept up? Or what, what's gotten us so rapidly to this place? Or has it been a slow burn and I'm just cynical? Well, that is a very uh, deep question. And if I went to the very root of some of the problems, I would actually be, I'm going to take a risk here and say that it actually all started with colonization um, because there is sort of one demographic in charge of assets and that has sort of recycled over and over again. And I think part of the problem is when you want to change something that is as deeply embedded in systemic issues as the way our finances are handled, it takes a lot of change, which means time, effort. You cannot go golfing every Friday and Wednesday. You have to come into the office. You have to create new models. You have to look at redefining risk. And I think what is really driving this from a positive place, Lisa, is the greatest generational transfer of wealth from family offices and and, um, control positions of the baby boomers into the younger generations who actually really care about what their money is doing and where it's going. And so I think that's part of the change we're seeing is because for many of the large bulge bracket firms that control assets, they are driven by their clients. And if their clients start to leave and they feel they're becoming irrelevant, then we're going to see some changes. They're not going to do it out of the goodness of their heart. We know that. And so we hope to be part of that lever we already are um, and bringing about positive change in ways that make a lot of sense and are much more logical than the way that Wall Street currently operates. It's it's so um there's so much there to unpack. And 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 I want to talk about um uh, uh, to bring back the limb that you went on, which I appreciate of wh- whether it all starts with ca- you know colonialization. I mean, I have lots of criticisms of capitalism in its current state because it feels very extractive. It also feels like it's benefiting certain parties unequally. So that comes to the conversation that I know is germane to what Known is doing and what you're always doing um, as an advocate um, for what we'll call, you know, um, you know, whether it's indigenous rights or BIPOC rights. I mean, it's it's there there are a number of groups around the world who are underrepresented. I mean, what I find most staggering as a statistic today 
is that the top 1% in 2023 of the population controls 48% or owns 48% of the wealth, whereas the bottom 50% of the world's population controls less than 1% of the wealth. And I'm using the word control and own, but actually the biggest question there is who controls 100% of it? And I think that's really germane to some of the problems and challenges that exist right now and maybe the opportunities as you talk about that you know, generational wealth transfer. H- how do we reconcile, you know, reality at the in, in 2024 and as we look to the future? Well, I think when we talk about all those statistics that you just listed, um, the other one that keeps me up at night is that 98% of our assets are in fact controlled by one demographic, white male-led firms, to be perfectly honest. And I think we have to look at it almost logically take some of the anger and the history out. I'm not saying we ignore that, but just for the moment, that doesn't make logical sense. When you look at the population base and the current demographics, what it means to me is more about opportunity. So if 90% are one demographic in a very um, diverse country, you're settling for mediocrity. There's no way around it. And then you're leaving out very talented, best and brightest um, on the other hand. And so for us, we look at our fiduciary responsibility as asset managers, our fiduciary responsibility as investment bankers, and we look for how do you create that alpha in underutilized populations? So instead of, again, instead of leading with anger, even though there's a reason to have anger, especially in my community, um, but we don't lead with that. We lead with opportunity and logic and how this can actually create alpha and actually access um, a whole world of opportunity that's been ignored. Um, alpha for all non-finance geeks is is growth, really. Well, growth and often overlooked growth in areas that maybe have been unexplored. So you're not just, again, regurgitating the same models, but finding new opportunities where you can actually accelerate multiples of growth and, and investment return. Um, you You are an inaugural member, started in a couple years ago, of Janet Yellen, who's our U.S. Treasury Secretary, Advisory Committee on Racial Equity. Um, it's a pretty big honor. It's a pretty important role. Um, until you and I met, I didn't know that that was a thing. I was very happy to learn that it was. Um, and your work there is to advance equity, racial equity in, in economic and financial kind of considerations and and, and address these acute disparities. I mean, the global majority, as is often called, which is, you know, BIPOC, indigenous, black, you know, people of color generally, who have a majority of buying power, actually, because they are a majority around the world. But they are, as we've just explored, not necessarily represented in the control systems of global finance. Um, what is the role of of kind of this global majority as we look towards the future of finance? Well, it's it's a very large role. And I think the whole idea of shifting capital means that we are providing access to our founders who are in the global majority, to our fund managers who are within the global majority. And that is really the way we're going to see a shift. And that will ultimately flow down into community. And I think one of the main tenants that Janet Yellen and the, her team at the U.S. Treasury realized is 
this lack of access to capital affects small businesses, it affects families who are filing tax returns, it affects large companies who maybe aren't utilizing a diverse group of vendors. I mean, there are so many areas where we, our report card is not good, let me put it that way, and they realize that. And so this inaugural group has actually been split up into teams where some are focusing on very small business and CDFIs in the nonprofit space, which is important. I'm in a, a group that is focusing on sort of larger shifting of capital and really holding government entities or entities that receive a government benefit right. accountable to how they're using their money and where their money is going. And so for me, it's pretty exciting to be alongside 25 people that are all fairly expert in their field um, and focused on solutions that may take some time to become policy, but at least we are there and we are working and we are trying um, because of this recognition that in our country, the way finance works currently is in fact broken and let's find some solutions. Well, I think you you said, you know, recognition of a problem and, and it really oftentimes is pulling things out of the shadow and into the light that allows, you know, solutions to be devised. Um, we, we're, we're no longer hiding realities. Um, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting to me, I mean, there are lots of them, um, but I mean, as we look about like, you know, what are the key contributors in finance as we've defined it to personal financial well-being as well as collective societal financial well-being? As we look towards the future five to 10 years from now, what are the kind of the major, I, I guess I'd call them like, you know, contributors that are going to to have an impact, the greatest impact. So what, 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 do we fo- what do we need to focus on? Great question. And I've spent a lot of time on this as have my partners. Um, and I think we all come at, come at it a little differently with different disciplines and areas of expertise, but I think we've all reached a similar conclusion. And for me, I really wanted to understand what generates wealth. And I focused on the United States. Um, and I realized that it is corporate growth And from corporate growth, that generates jobs and 401k plans and the ability to have uh, home ownership. And it creates a a tax base for the community in which those uh, companies are based. And when I looked at the amount of large companies and I looked at public companies, and those aren't the only large companies, I understand that, but, you know, it's a large cap uh, situation. And I looked at, you know, who had gone through IPOs and actually made that, that real big pocket of wealth. And almost 100% are white male-founded companies. And so we realize there's a gap. And when we start to provide access to growth capital, um, serious growth capital, not just small business loans, but you know, on that trajectory to become a large cap company or even a small or a mid cap company. The venture capital, the, the loan, the credit lines, et cetera. Well, and private equity, private debt, um, big amounts of capital. You know, if you're going to launch an M&A strategy, you, you might need 500 million. No one talks about how how do you access that 500 million if you don't have someone who works at one of the big companies or your father didn't sit at the kitchen table and talk about it. It's very much a, a black hole for many people who are very smart and educated, but understanding how to access growth capital is something that has not been a part of our communities. And so for us at Known, that is a very important part of our strategy, not only on the investment banking side, where we hope to assist with the structuring of growth capital and and help those businesses scale, but also the 
funds providing that capital need to be funded as well. And so just really looking at the entire cycle of wealth creation and corporate growth, which again, in my opinion, trickles then down into those communities. And so that they're not just in one demographic, um, really helping our communities realize that money. And what I learned, Lisa, from my time in the nonprofit space is nonprofit charitable organizations are incredible and they play a very important part, but they are not the solution to what we're talking about. We need to see large amounts of capital. It has to be economic um, growth, economic opportunity. And I do think nonprofits play an important role. Um, but, you know, it's it's about shifting capital in ways that then are meaningful to our communities, whether it's um, addressing the cycles of poverty or homeownership, like I said, a median income. That's what we have to change. We have to see that. Yeah. And, and I mean, things like federal supplier diversity and things like this also, obviously, I mean, all, there's so many, again, as you said, along that whole value chain levers. Um, but I know the statistics myself, you know, 2% of venture capital is going to, you know, w people of color, you know, less than 1% is going to women of color. Um, you know, we we obviously need to to really uh, change change these figures in both the private sector as well as what can we do in the public sector to alleviate the historic burden. Um, well, and, and venture capital is, I mean, one of my partners always, always talks about venture capital. It's that sexy, shiny thing that you see, you know, in the news and on the cover of magazines when it it's something like 8% of overall capital and it's yeah. not appropriate for all founders. And so in all honesty, we tend to focus on uh, different types of debt and uh, private equity that isn't necessarily venture-based because a lot of times those terms are extracted. But again, it's an education. It's all about, you know, understanding the right type of capital for the right business and how that growth can really be supported to scale. Because many times, in all honesty, if a founder accepts venture, that ends up putting them into bankruptcy. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we're helping with the right type of capital as well. Uh, it's it's And it is so nuanced. And I mean, your expertise is material and the fact that there is a task force you know, at the treasury level, but also, I mean, you know, um, it, it needs to happen within banks. It needs to happen within other organizations. Um, I'm very aware of time because XYZ is always way too short, especially for a topic as big as as, as finance. Um, but I want to make sure that we get to two questions. The, the, the first one is about impact investing. I mean, you're of Cherokee descent. You've been very involved in kind of the tribal sector. You founded the first Native American-owned uh, investment bank. You've raised, structured, and managed over $3 billion in capital for tribal nations. I mean, you're very involved. Impact investing is obviously a hot topic at the moment. What can you say about the intersection of what we'll call ESG, so the environmental social governance side, social and racial justice, diversity, portfolio diversification, investment? Like, What's that kind of future look like? So I tend to avoid all of those phrases um, and I've stopped using them for the most part for various reasons, because I think we can actually use simple language to make the point. And um, in the class that I teach at Stanford, it is called entrepreneurialism for social impact and racial equity. But again, I don't use those phrases. What I teach my students is there is no room in the world anymore for creating a business with a single bottom line of financial gain. We need to see a business that makes money, but also addresses the urgent need we have around people and planet. And so that's where we live. 
um, at Known. We really believe in healing the planet, healing our people um, through economic development, through access to finance. And I think there can be negative impact as well as positive impact in our finances. And so for me, just avoiding phrases that can be politically charged or misunderstood, I simply say, you know, we want to, we want to address the issues we have with people and planet, and we want to make money and we want to do it in a way that shifts capital so that our communities actually feel the results of that. Um, amen. We, we have one last question. It's always my last question on future of XYZ, Val. Um, imagine out 20 years from today, what's your greatest hope for the future of finance? Well, first of all, I would say that as a Native American, uh, we do believe in seven generations. We believe in the future of our youth. I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother. So I have high hopes that our children and our children's children will be part of the solution that we're all hoping for. Um, but for me, I, I want to phrase this in a way where I see solutions to all of the issues that we face being within the shifting of capital that we've been discussing. So I want to see an end to poverty on our reservations and poverty in some of our communities. I want to see an end to mental health issues. I want to see an end to drug abuse and substance abuse. I want to see an end to general nutrition and health and, and well-being. And I want to see an end to racism and sexism. And I do believe very sincerely, I spend every day working on this, that as we shift resources, serious resources, we will see an end to the cycles of poverty and we will see equitable distribution of capital and ownership. And that's really what I would hope to see in that time frame. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just put a pin in that and, and, and wish on that every day. Um, and thank you for the work you're doing on it. Thank you for joining us on this episode, uh, very early on in the season five, uh, 2024, a future of XYZ. It's been a pleasure. Um, and, uh, future of finance with Val Redhorse Mole, everyone. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And thanks for everyone watching and listening. Make sure that you uh, give us a five-star review wherever you get your favorite podcast. You can watch at ripbs.org forward slash XYZ. We have 118 episodes now to go back through. Uh, and you can follow uh, on Instagram at future of XYZ. We look forward to seeing you in two weeks time for another fantastic episode. Again, Val, thank you. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.